Beautiful. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. What a great day to be here studying God's Word. I'm so glad you are here. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming this morning. I'm Deb Haygood, and it is a joy and a privilege to be here with you today. I also want to welcome West Campus. We're so glad that you are part of Women in the Word this semester. So thank you for joining us, and we are glad that you're a part of it. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in praising God through song. And thank you for those praises. They were beautiful. They were beautiful, and you are beautiful. We are studying Psalms this semester, and today we're going to look at a... Whoa. <laughs> Psalms. We're looking at Psalm 33. It's a psalm of praise. And I'm just praising God this morning that we... Um, we're able to come on dry roads, no ice, no snow, no sleet, the sun's shining, and I'm praising God for that. I know that spring is just around the corner. Today we're looking at Psalm 33, and it is a psalm of praise, and I thank you so much for um, being here. We've already been praising God, and that is wonderful. Uh, when I was a little girl, I used to say a prayer at the dinner table, and many of you will recognize it. It goes like this, God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hand, we will be fed. Thank thee, Lord, for our daily bread. I'm so old that we said thank thee back uh, when I was a little girl. When I got to be a little bit older, I decided that was a baby prayer, and so I began using my own words when I prayed at the dinner table, thinking how spiritually mature I was. And then when I became a young married gal, I realized that that prayer I'd said as a little kid had foundational truth in it. To know and believe that God is great and God is good was so important to my Christian faith. It was so important to my walk with the Lord. To know and believe that God is great and God is good affects the way you view everything. Everything. God is great. He is mighty and powerful and awesome. And God is good. He is loving and forgiving and merciful. And he is our savior and redeemer. When I started studying Psalm 33, I saw God's greatness and his goodness all through it. And I realized once again the importance of that little prayer I had said because I realized that as I thank God for my food, I was beginning that prayer by praising God. God is great, and God is good. So I want us to look this morning, as we read through Psalm 33 again, to look for God's greatness and his goodness as we study Psalm 33. But I want us to begin this morning with a um, definition of praise. What does it mean to praise God? And I have a couple of them. Uh, the first one is to exalt or extol, to worship. Now, what does the word extol mean? Have you guys thought about that? I mean, you see it a lot in the Psalms, and I thought, what is extol? And so I looked that up, and it says it means resounding praise in a lofty style, repeatedly and excessively, to proclaim God's excellence. So it's kind of like over-the-top praise. Um, it's repeated, and it's excessive. I'm proclaiming God's excellence. And then another definition says praise of God is the acknowledging of his perfections, his works and benefits. The Evangelical Dictionary gives this definition, and I like this a lot. Praise is homage rendered to God by his creatures in worship of who he is. 
It's us praising God for who he is. Praise is an important element of Christian prayer as we focus our attention on God and tell God how odd we are at his majesty and glory. Praise is not just what we say, it's also how we live. And the Bible shouts the command to respond to God's greatness and God's goodness with expressions of praise. So let's turn to Psalm 33 and take a look at it. There's no superscription, so we're not told who the psalmist is that wrote this or for what occasion um, that it was written. Now, some think that it might have been David that wrote it. (laughs) And I kind of laugh because if there is any psalm that's anonymous, there's somebody that thinks David wrote it. Um, It kind of reminds me of the little boy in Sunday school. We all know the teacher said, you know, what's brown and has a bushy tail and gathers nuts and runs up trees. And the little boy raised his hand and said, well... It sounds like a squirrel, but I'm going to say Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is always a good answer in Sunday school. And when you're talking about the author of the Psalms, David is always a good answer there. So we don't know. But um, actually, I think David might have written this Psalm. The 21 Psalms before this, we know were written by David. And the eight Psalms immediately following Psalm 33 were also written by David. So maybe this was too, but we don't know. That's just conjecture. What I do know is I love this Psalm because of the beautiful praise verses in it. I love it because it's a praise celebration. You see lots of people praising God together. And I love it because the psalmist tells us all about praise. He tells us who should praise God and how we should praise God and why we should praise God and what happens when we do. And that's what we're going to look at today. So follow along as I read the first three verses. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Now the NIV and the New King James are a little bit different from this ESV. They use different words, but clearly in every translation, the psalmist begins with a call of praise to the Lord. And in verse 1, he tells us who. Who should praise the Lord? And do you see it there? It is the righteous the upright, those right-living people, God followers. It's you and me. It's us in this room that are following after God. We are to lift up our praises to the Lord. And we learned in Psalm 103, studied that the second week, that we all have been given a song of praise to sing to the Lord. And we read in these verses that it's fitting for us to praise God. I love that, that that was one of the praises. It's fitting for us to praise God. And the New King James says that for praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise from the upright is beautiful. Now, um, many of us spend a lot of time trying to look beautiful, um, or as close as we can get to that. Um, Some of us are not quite as successful as others, but we try to look beautiful. But the Word of God tells us that praise from the upright is beautiful. You are beautiful when you praise the Lord. You sound beautiful when you praise the Lord. And we know that it's true. Think about it. We know that it's true. When we see someone praising the Lord, they are beautiful. Praise from the upright is beautiful. 
Next, the psalmist tells us how to praise the Lord. And he gives us six commands, kind of six imperatives on how to praise the Lord. And we're going to look at those. And the first one we see right there is with joy. Shout for joy, the ESV says. The NIV says sing joyfully. Praise with joy. Rejoice when you're praising the Lord. Matthew Henry, the great theologian from the 1600s, said this. Holy joy is the heart and soul of praise. Thankful praise is breath and language of holy joy. Holy joy, rejoice as we praise the Lord. Then we see the second and third elements here involve musical instruments. Give thanks with the lyre, make melody with the harp. And these two instruments, the harp and the lyre, they're stringed instruments. And I love that because we've said that the title Psalms comes from a Greek word that means poem or song sung to the accompaniment of a stringed instrument. And at Christ Chapel, we see the worship leaders, many of them, um, using stringed instruments. We're so fortunate to be in this church where we have stringed instruments and musical instruments um, accompanying us as we praise the Lord. And our own Thursday morning um, worship team, we have Emily Childs and Linda DuPont. They play the guitar and the cello. And uh, Jennifer Cooper plays the piano, and that is a stringed instrument for those of you that may not know. Um, and we also have other musical instruments. We have Elizabeth Wickland playing percussion, and we have Lori Rook playing the flute, so beautiful. And I also um, am grateful for the beautiful voices of the music leaders that lead us in song, Emily Bailey and Lou. Ann Harris and Merritt Seeley and Julie Rhodes. We are so fortunate. Thank you for leading us with the musical instruments. Praise the Lord with musical instruments, and we get to do it on Thursday mornings. The fourth element that we see here is to sing a new song. And I love this because every translation that I looked at said that very thing. Sing a new song. A new song. So this must be important, and we can all do this. Now, we may not all play the guitar or the piano, but we can all sing a new song. Um, we can praise God with something new, something fresh. Look around and see God's greatness and goodness displayed in your life in new ways and praise him for that. Maybe it's a new baby and we praise God for his creative power, his creation, his work. Maybe it's something he's provided for you, something big like a new home or a new job or something small that he's provided. Praise God for his greatness and his goodness that is new in your life. Maybe it's something new that you've learned about God as you've studied his word. Maybe it's a new flower blooming in your backyard. That, that is something I'm looking forward to praise God for. Maybe a new sunset at night. Look for new things to praise God. And if you get stuck, on your verse sheet, I have Lamentations 3, 22, and 23. You may have noticed that last song we sung came from this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We read here that the Lord's mercies are new every morning. So if you're stuck, just ask God to show you a new mercy, a new way that he is displaying greatness and goodness in your life. And then praise him for that. In the book, 1,000 Gifts, um, the author 
uh, wants to live a life of joy and gratitude. So she decides that she is going to make a list of a thousand things that she can find to thank God for in her daily activities, in her daily routine. And it's pretty interesting, the book, and pretty um, inspirational. Uh, the one that I remember most that always comes to mind when I think of the book is when she is doing dishes after lunch. And she had, I think, six kids that she homeschooled. So there were probably a lot of dishes in the sink. And she's got the soap bubbles. And the light was coming through the window, shining on the bubbles. And you know how sometimes when that happens, they look kind of iridescent, almost like a rainbow in the soap bubbles? And she began to thank God for the beauty of the soap suds as she washed the dishes. Look around and see those new things that God has given in your life and sing a new song of praise to the Lord. The fifth command we see, play skillfully. Play skillfully. Now, we may not all um, play a musical instrument, but someone said in the leaders meeting today, play skillfully means that there's been practice. And I sometimes think the more we practice something, we become more skillful. The more we praise the Lord, we may become more skillful at it. I also think it means to give your best praise to God. Bring your best to the Lord. Take a moment, think about who he is, and lift that up to the Lord. Be skillful. Praise is not just ho-hum. Sometimes I'm guilty of this. God is great and God is good and you're powerful and you're big and I'm thinking about the next thing I need to do and making that phone call and sending an email and my mind's not really focused on the Lord. That is not very skillful praise. That's not really bringing my best praise to the Lord. I need to stop. I need to focus on the Lord, who he is, what I know to be true of him, and praise him for those things. And then the last command we see here echoes the first. In the ESV it says, with loud shouts. And the NIV says, shout with joy. Here we see joy again as we began, joy. And also we see loud. Now, I don't know, loud could mean volume. I think that... Um, Sometimes in our worship, we, we do get pretty loud. But I also think it may be talking about exuberance and enthusiasm. I think it means praying, praising God with um, jubilance and with um, excitement. That could be how we praise the Lord loudly. As I was studying these verses and thinking about this praise celebration, times in my past... Um, when I joyfully sang praises to the Lord, came to my mind. Church camp in Florida when I was in junior high. I thought about the time I was in my dorm room in college and my roommate was playing the guitar and there were about six of us and we were sitting in there singing praises to the Lord. I thought about my daughter's wedding and when the bell choir was playing and everybody in church, we sang to the Lord, joyful, joyful, we adore thee. How about those church suppers a long time ago? How many of you remember going to the potluck suppers and Lewis would play the piano after we'd finished eating and people would shout out different praise songs and he would play them and we would sing praises to the Lord. I think about when I was a little girl in my grandfather's church singing, How Great Thou Art with everyone singing it loudly. And how many times I've stood in this church and sang praises joyfully to the Lord with skillful musicians leading us. I don't know what came to your mind as you read these three verses. Maybe it was last Sunday's service of praise and worship. But it is beautiful. It is fitting for us to praise the Lord.
So now we've been reminded how to praise the Lord. Let's look at these next 16 verses. And the psalmist tells us why we praise the Lord. Why we should praise him. And these verses are all about who God is. And when we know who God is, then we have much for which to praise him. So let's look at 4 and 5. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. The word of the Lord is true. This is the written word of God. It is true. It is um, right. It is fitting. It is done in truth. The written word. We also know that Jesus is the living word. He's the living word. And on your verse sheet, I've got John 1, 1. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. This is Jesus that we're talking about here. And Jesus tells us in fourteen six, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus, the living word, is truth. And then God also speaks to us through his creation. Through the creation, and we see in Psalm 19, uh, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. And then Paul tells us in Romans 1, for what can be known about God is plain to them, and them here is the unrighteous, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. His word is true. His word is right. And we are only right when we agree with it. And his work is the outflow of his word. And that's the second part of verse 4 that we see there. His work is done in truth. God's works are faithful and righteous and just. God's work all line up perfectly. It's done in truth. Whatever God has ordained is good and just and excellent. And because of his true word and his true works, the earth is full of God's unfailing love. It's full of, it says here in the ESV, his steadfast Love, That uh, word there for steadfast love, unfailing love, is hesed. It's the Hebrew word hesed. And I love that word. It means loyal love. The Israelites loved the word hesed as well to describe God's love for them. God is loyal to his people. And he's loyal. His love is loyal to us as well. God's love is faithful. The New King James says the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. The earth is drenched with the goodness and unfailing love of the Lord. Have you ever been caught in a rainstorm and you're soaking wet and you walk in and the water's just dripping off your hair and off your clothes and you say, I am drenched. The earth is drenched with the goodness and the unfailing love of the Lord. Look around you and notice it. God is good. Then in verse 6 through 9, I love this, the psalmist goes on to give us an example of the works and the word of God. He elaborates on this truth. You know, he just doesn't tell us God's word is true, he's faithful, he's just, he gives us this great example in creation, the perfect example um, for us. So let's go on and read these next verses. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. 
Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The psalmist says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And we um, also see that in the creation story in Genesis 1. It talks about by his word. He said, let there be light, and there was light. Um, on your verse sheet, I have a couple verses from Genesis. Genesis 1.14 says, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. The psalmist tells us that he just breathed and the stars were in the sky. He just went, and skies and stars popped out into the sky. You know, I wonder if the psalmist was thinking about a dark night over Israel and how bright the stars were shining. Just think how dark it must have been in Israel during the time of the psalmist. There was no electricity. When you put your candle out at night, it must have been pretty dark. And how many stars must have shone in the sky? Or maybe if David wrote this, he was thinking about a time on a hillside with his sheep. A dark night when he looked up and he saw the beauty of the starry night. I have a picture that I wanted you to look at of a starry night. Think about times that you have seen that. Um, my family, we have driven to Colorado many times uh, over the years. And when the kids were little, uh, the route takes us into the high plains outside of Amarillo. Some of you may know this trip on the way to text line and there's nothing around but just the high plains and so the sky is really filled with stars it is dark and you see so many stars and when the kids were little we would pull over and we'd say look at the stars in the sky and it was awesome to see all the stars in the sky it was so awesome that when they were teenagers in high school they would say when we would get to this part of the road dad pull over and let us see the stars there's something about it, the majesty of God shown in the stars. This summer, Scott and I drove to Colorado by ourselves. And once again, as we were on this dark road in the high plains, we pulled over and looked at the stars in the sky. The beauty of it just proclaims God's majesty. Then verse 7 goes on, and the um, psalmist gives us another example from creation. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. And on your verse sheet, I've got Genesis 1-9 that talks about that. Let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Have you ever been in the middle of the ocean and you look around and there's no land anywhere? That's how vast the ocean is, how big it is. Or maybe you've stood on the shore and the waves crashing in, huge waves, five, six, seven, and you see the power of them. There's no holding them back. Or maybe you've been on a fast-flowing river, maybe on a raft, and there is no, you're just carried along by the river. There's no controlling that. This was nothing to God, to take the waters and scoop them up and to put them in their place, to put the rivers in their banks and to put the oceans with boundaries, to scoop them up and put them there. Do you get the picture how big God is, how big he is and how small we are? And I love it because the um, 
psalmist there talks about um, how the, uh, he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. It was all firm. God put it in his place. He didn't go to sleep that night and the stars kind of started falling out of the sky or the water started seeping, leaking back out over the land so that when he woke up, everything was covered again. No. It says he spoke and it stood firm. It stayed in place. And Colossians tells us that is Jesus. That's Jesus holding everything together. Psalm 1, Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is the glue that holds it together. Jesus is the gravity that keeps everything in its place. God is great. Verse 8, you get the feeling that the psalmist there has just um, kind of become overwhelmed as he has talked about the creation that God has made. He becomes overwhelmed with how big God is as he thinks of God's great power in the creation. And it's like he just says, you are awesome. You are awesome, God. Everyone stand in awe of the Lord. Fear him. And there's an exclamation point after that. Stand in awe of him. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? Uh, we've talked about that several times, many times, but it's a very important concept to understand. Amy talked about it two weeks ago, and she said, fear of the Lord is a constant awareness of God's power and goodness. I think we could say it's a constant awareness of God's greatness and God's goodness. Fear of the Lord, it's reverence. It's showing God honor and respect because he is awesome. He is majestic and holy and powerful. He is great. He is good. And so we stand in awe of him or we sit or we kneel or we bow in awe of who he is. And that brings us to a place of humility. We're humbled as we see ourselves in light of who God is. God, the powerful, loving creator of the universe. And we are his created ones. Small and insignificant, except that he gives us significance with his love. He calls us his beloved. And this fear of the Lord... This awe and reverence should move us towards obedience and away from disobedience. It should energize us and motivate us to love him and to serve him. And as the psalmist says, to praise him. To praise him. We come to verse 10 next, and now we have a change in the flow. The psalmist moves from God's creation to God's plan and providence. He moves from God as creator to God as the ruler. He has wanted us to praise God for his goodness and for his great power as he's created the world. And now he wants us to praise God for his plan and his providence. Providence means God bringing his will to pass so that all of life lies under his control and plan. I'll say that one more time. It's God bringing his will to pass so that all of life lies under his plan and his control. God created the world and he had a plan. He had a plan from the very beginning of time and it goes forward. So let's read verses 10 through 12. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. 
The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom he has chosen as his heritage. God's plans and purposes stand forever. God has had a plan that is moving through time and a plan of redemption for mankind since the very beginning of time. And that plan is Jesus, Jesus, the Savior for one and all. And we see it so clearly in the Old Testament. We see God working through his people and we see God also working through unbelievers. Uh, Last spring, we studied Ezra and Nehemiah and in Ezra 1.1, it tells us how God worked through a pagan Persian king to move his plan forward. Um, In fact, I have that Ezra 1 on your verse sheet. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to put it in writing. And this proclamation said that the temple in Jerusalem was to be rebuilt and that any of God's people that wanted to go back to Jerusalem and build this house of the Lord could go. Now, if you remember um, from history, the Israelites were taken into captivity by the Babylonians. And 70 years have passed and the Persians have come into power. And Cyrus, king of Persia, a pagan, first thing he does is to write... uh, this proclamation that the Israelites were to be held captive no longer. They could go back to Jerusalem. And we know this was important for God's plan to rebuild the temple and to reestablish worship, his people coming together and worship him because out of his people would come the Savior, Jesus. And then last semester we looked in Luke and we saw that Jesus went to the cross willingly to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. On your verse sheet, I have a couple verses. Words of Jesus, Luke 18, 31. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Jesus knew what was going to happen when he went to Jerusalem. He knew the plan. It was God's plan, and he knew it. And then, when he's on the cross, we read this, Luke 23, 46. Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Pilate wasn't in control. The Sanhedrin wasn't in control. Those Jewish religious leaders, they weren't in control. God was in control. You know, sometimes we look around our world today, we look at our culture and society, and we see more and more that they're saying right is wrong, and what's wrong is right. And as God followers, we can either become discouraged, or we can remember that God is in control. His plan is going forward. Nothing will thwart the plans of God. Even though we may not see it, even though we don't understand it, we can know that God is in control and that we must remain firm in following him and his ways. Because one day Jesus is coming back and he will right all the wrongs. Charles Spurgeon says, The cause of God is never in danger. The Lord overrules the evil and brings good out of it. 
And you know that's true. You know there are times in your life where you've seen this very thing happen or in the world today. We see God in control. Romans 8.28 tells us that as well. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And then in verse 12, this is kind of like a little parenthesis. I think all of a sudden the psalmist realizes, hey, Israel knows God and he's praising God that um, God has chosen Israel and revealed himself to them and that they have experienced his blessings. And as believers in Jesus, we are God's chosen ones too. And blessed are we when God's purposes and God's plans are our purposes and our plans So let's go on to verse 13, and we're going to see the evidence of God's providence. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observe all their deeds. God is involved in our lives. He made each of us, and he is aware of each of us. He wants to be in a relationship with us. Um... I think that it's pretty um, overwhelming. We can't even get our minds around the fact that he knows what everyone is thinking at the same time. He is omniscient, and he's omnipresent, and he is all-powerful. He made all of us. You know, he didn't just create us and then go off and take a nap and kind of forget it. No, no. These verses tell us he's involved in our life. He's aware of us and knows what we're thinking and what we're doing. He's all-present. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. Those are some things that we can praise the Lord for. God is powerful, and yet, even though he's in control and we say we know that, we still kind of want to do things our way. We say, I want to do it with my talents and my resources and my strength, when that's really not mine at all. He created me, and what I have, he's given me, and it works best when I use it for his purposes. God is not impressed with my efforts apart from him. He wants me to trust in him and to uh, follow him and to let him work in my life. And he reminds us in verses 16 and 17 what not to trust in. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue Great army, great strength, great might. You know, those would have been great images for the psalmist in his day. And those are still pretty good images for us today. Some things that we might trust in. But also, we might be trusting in our savings account or our college degrees or our job. Or maybe even our family. So many things for us to trust in. And and some of these aren't evil things. They're good things. But if we're trusting in something that's not God, then it's the wrong thing. God wants us to trust in him. And then he gives us these next verses to tell us why we should trust in him. Verse 18, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. The Lord is our hope. His unfailing love is our hope. He cares for us. He provides for us. He saves us from eternal death. Praise him for his steadfast love. 
praise him for his unfailing love. That is our hope. And not hope that's just wishful thinking, but hope that is certain and true. Certainty in the present, firm expectation for the future. Our hope is in God, not in our own merits. Our hope is on, in God, not in what we do or don't do. I had an um, example that I'll have to tell you real quickly, but um, Monday morning, um, I woke up in the Houston where I had been visiting uh, my grandchildren, actually taking care of them. My daughter and son-in-law had been out of town for the weekend, and I had a good plan, and it was to get up Monday morning and to get back to Fort Worth because I had a lot to do this week. I was going to be here on Thursday morning. And so I woke up Thursday, and guess what? I-45, the way home, was closed um, for many miles with ice and cars stuck on it. And I thought, oh, dear, Lord, that was a good plan. So, you know, what is your plan? And because I'd been reading Psalm 33, I really said, okay, what is your plan, Lord? I thought I had a good plan, but I am not in control. At about that time, my husband had called and said, okay, Deb, head west, leave at noon, head west to College Station, go 6 to 35, and I think you can get home. Well, I had just been uh, talking to my son. He had texted me, and he had been in College Station over the weekend and had gone home Sunday night, and it was very icy, uh, freezing sleet and rain. The streets were... the. I-35 was terrible, and he has just been telling me this. It's 24 in the woodlands, and so in my mind, I can't figure out how those roads could really be good yet. And so I kind of, in my submissive wife, said, well, maybe I should just wait till Tuesday morning, Scott. And my husband very patiently said, Deb, at noon, head to College Station, take 6 to 35, and I think you're going to get home without any trouble. So... I was very submissive, and with a big sigh, <sighs> okay. And that was kind of the end of I got in the car, and I headed home, praying all the way. Okay, Lord, I don't see how this is going to be good, but I'm just praying that the roads are clear. And there was not one bit of ice the whole way, the whole way to College Station, 6, 35 to my door. Now, there was sleet on the sides of the road, but the roads that I were on, totally clear. And then I listened to the news Monday night after I got home. Some of you may have heard it. And there was more kind of freezing rain and ice going through south of us. And the roads, 35 to Austin and 45 to Houston, were going to be very treacherous. I came home at that one little spot in there where there was no ice on the roads. That was God's plan given to me by my husband. And so sometimes that's a little aside. It's a good thing to yield to our husbands. <laughs> God works through our husbands. He loved it when I had to say, thank you, Scott. That was really the one and only time. God is big and I am small and I, he's using you. We have plans, but we're not in control. God is in control, and so our hope is in God. And when we put our hope in God and when we fear him, then we have nothing else to fear. And we see that, Romans 8, 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So the psalmist tells us to praise God for his word is true. His works are righteous and just. Praise God for his goodness. Praise God for his greatness in his creation. Praise God for the plans and the purposes that stand forever. Praise God for his providence, that he's involved in our lives and his unfailing love is our hope. And then what happens 
when we praise God. Well, we know that God is honored and he's glorified and we know that others might see our fear of the Lord, our constant awareness of God's greatness and God's goodness. But these last three verses tell us what happens to us when we pray the Lord, when we praise the Lord. He is so good to us. So let's read these last three verses and finish up here. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. I see two benefits from praising God. The first one is our faith grows stronger. Our faith grows stronger, and we know that because our soul waits for the Lord. We are patient. We are quiet. We rest in the Lord. Our faith grows stronger, and we know that because our heart is glad in him. We rejoice in the Lord. That's a sign of our faith growing stronger when we're rejoicing in the Lord. And our faith grows stronger, and we trust in the Lord's holy name more and more. The second thing I see is that we're drawn closer to the Lord with praise. We are aware of who he is. As we lift up these praises to the Lord, these attributes of God go deep into our heart. And we know more and more who he is. We know him more intimately. We are aware of who he is. And we are aware of his presence. We are aware of the nearness of God. And we see that in this last verse. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us. Even as we hope in you, it's like this prayer just sort of tumbles out at the end of this psalm of praise. And that's what happens to us. Those of you that praise God and think about God lifting up attributes to him, you know that. How his presence seems so close. And you find yourself just calling out to the Lord, praising God, talking to God. Um, It's not any uh, effort. It's not any burden. You're just talking to him because his presence is so close to you. Have you ever been greatly troubled and you begin your prayer by praising God and then it goes on to more praise and as you think of more attributes, it leads to more praise and pretty soon there's a quietness in your soul that hadn't been there, a peace that you didn't have when you start and you begin to uh, praise him some more and then you come to the end of your prayer. Maybe you don't even mention that thing that was troubling you. Instead, maybe you just call out that God's Uh, unfailing love would rest upon you. If you've never tried praising God in a difficult time, just praising God. Try it and feel your faith growing stronger and feel God's presence so very close to you. This morning, I want us to um, bow and uh, take 60 seconds to just praise the Lord silently for whatever's come to your mind as we've read this psalm. And then at the end of that 60 seconds, the worship team is going to come up and lead us um, to praise God together as we sing the last verse of How Great Thou Art. So bow with me and silently praise the Lord.
Amen. Let us sing together. When Christ shall come, with shout of acclamation, and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart, then I shall Thank you, ladies. That was beautiful.